I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we're discussing the men's game versus Newcastle and the women's game versus Canberra. I'm joined by Dale and Dave. Hello all. Good evening. Hello. It's more hello both, isn't it, I guess? But, you know, it's late. We'll discuss that later. It's, it's the A team. More the D team, mate. <laughs> Two Ds. <laughs> um, Oof, I don't know if that was an open, open invitation, was it? Yeah. Let's not start that again, Dale. No means no. Um, we'll start with the men's game versus Newcastle. Uh, a bit of a changed, uh, amended lineup again um, with um, Kelly Heald coming into that back line. So, um, Sutton being retained, actually. Um, so who are we? Who was the one that dropped out? So it was Paulson. Kelly Hill, Wooten, Sermon, Sutton, Alte, Rufa, Pennington, Kriev, Barbarusis, and Ball. Pat Payne is the one that dropped out. Oh, you're true. Um, ostensibly a 3-5-2 with the uh, three big units at the back. Pennington playing wing back, really, wasn't he? Pennington. Yeah, that, uh, an interesting yeah. one. I don't think I've ever seen him play there, and I'm not sure I really want him to play there again. Didn't do badly, but... Not, not too many options though, really. Um, like he filled in there, I guess, in that victory game towards the end of the victory game. And he has, I think, at times in the season, kind of taken up that spot when Payne has gone, played a bit higher and stuff, kind of yeah. drifted to sort of a right backish. But yeah, certainly not his, um, yeah, his preferred preferred spot. But did a did a reasonable job. I thought it would have been Alte because Alte seems to slot in behind Payne a lot. When he makes pain makes his runs forward, I think it's whoever's there, whichever one of Pennington or Altay, and Rufa just holds the centre or something by the look of it. But an interesting formational change, one we haven't really seen from the the um, team this season. It's realistically only ever been four at the back. Um, do you think this is kind of one of these trained and practiced for throughout the season, or is this kind of like pains out? We need to do something different. I think it might be a bit of both. I think it's probably something they've looked at in training. I would have thought you'd be crazy as a coach not to have tried out a few different shapes, right? And have have something up your sleeve in case you need it, right? Even even if it is, say, a red card in a game, you might need to shift shift or, you know, something like that. But I think the reason he's used it here was probably, you know, he had pain out and he needed, needed to get the personnel on the field. And, you know, you're saying you don't necessarily want to see pain, uh, sorry, Pennington play there again. I don't know that Chiefy would either, right? But you've got to put a team on the field and he's probably not a bad option, right? I think maybe if you're comparing it to Al Tay taking up that spot, it's probably Pennington offers a little more going forward. Um, Al Tay, as you say, does drop in there to cover defensively, but it'd be very rare you'd see Al Tay move into that position on the go forward. You know, he's not a player overlapping out wide or anything like that, whereas Pennington does get forward a bit, does offer something there. So I think it, it makes some sense in that and that approach to go, if we need someone who's going to get up and back a bit like Payne does, Pennington's the better option than Altay, and you've still got Altay able to drop in and cover as needed. Yeah, I, th I think perhaps the, sh the shift to the back five probably reflects how we got picked apart last game against Newcastle. They kind of got us on the tank, uh, on the counter out wide a couple of times, so a couple of reasons for why, why that shift. And not too bad to have it as the option when you've got Kelly Heald, who's shown himself to be a pretty capable player at this level, and you know his number one spot is normally a centre-back. And being willing to concede corners and having three large units just hovering about that six-yard goal box. Yeah, I mean, slot, slot centre slot in there quite, quite well. And I think, you know, for someone who's, you know, first season playing centre-backs, probably quite quite a daunting position but when you've got two other centre backs next to you perhaps it's a bit easy you know there's less less you know meters you have to cover and um you got a bit more you know um space for mistakes if, if you need because there's a few, couple of more people around you so it's probably not the worst thing to yeah you know, for him to, to be in there with, with a couple other centre backs 
Well, I, I'm thinking from playing fullback, you, you get pretty isolated a lot of the time, and he has, and he's had to come up against some pretty skillful players. So it must be almost a nice change to be back in the centre and actually having a bit of cover behind him. Yeah. Um, we just to talk about the game itself. Um, it got off to a bit of a cracking start. Pennington um, making a break up the be- beginning, uh, up the, and putting a ball across the middle towards the beginning of the game. Um, Sutz couldn't quite make it. He made a hell of a run up there, but um, yeah, obviously not his natural position. Wing back and bombing forward. But was it less than a minute later? Um, David Ball's just gone, basically gone for a ball, dribbling across the goal box, and um, I think it was Natter just dived in on him. Ballie was, um, shall we say, he was uh, willing to draw that foul. That was a good, good old clattering, wasn't it? Oh, there was, I don't think there was anything like any. Uh... Oh, it was definitely contact, but he went he went down with both feet, I think, and got only got caught with yeah. one. It was definite contact, definite penalty. Maybe. I think. I, I think the talking point here is, is how the ability to win a penalty with probably the worst touch of the game from Costa um, somehow sucks yeah. a defender <laughs> defender and perhaps. Well, you're not expecting it from Costa at the moment. You, you watch his red hot form; he's got the ball on his foot the entire time, and then he just knocks it eight yards away from himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a just a terrible tackle, though. I mean, honestly, like you've just watched Costa have an absolute shocking touch. It's spilled to one of the other attackers in the box, and you've thought, you know what, we'll just go through him. Like, I just don't. Yeah, I don't get it because it. Yeah. I, I gave it my... might have opened up into something threatening, but I don't think you needed to dive in like that in the first two minutes of a game, you know? No, but... Borley was going directly across the field. I don't know that he necessarily yeah. realised Ball was going to get there before him, but, yeah, it was just dumb, right? Just don't dive in. You're in yeah. the box. It's not threatening. Yeah. Just take no, shape. No, and it, and it might have opened up for Borley if, if, you know, keep kept running across the top like that. It might have opened into a shot. But that that early in the game, it probably was just going to be a loosener, if anything, right? It wasn't – it didn't feel like there's a lot of threat there. Um, but instead, he just goes, oh, get him, you know? Just bizarre. Certainly not certainly not how they were expecting to start the game, surely. Well, certainly not from a player that the commentators were talking up um, for the Ollie Rose squad. It seemed like a bit of a rash idea. But um, interesting again, Roofs has obviously decided he's the nominated penalty taker. Uh, and I've got to say, if he keeps hitting them like that, crack on, lad. That was a very confident penalty. Yeah, I think he's, he's probably got it until he misses, I think. Uh, it's probably the rule. Um, but yeah, interesting. I think he's mixed up his penalties as well. Like he doesn't have his mm. own way, and I think... Yeah, perhaps that is, um, is is quite helpful. And yeah, I, I think I said last week about yeah, Paul Izzo never looked like he was going to save that one. I mean, um, Ryan, I think it's Ryan, Ryan Scott. Yeah, looked ever like just looked like a statue, and he just didn't have any idea what he's what he's going. He kind of does a little half little roll, and that's it. It's like, what was that going to do? It's not even a, like oh, a yeah, leap I... in any direction. It's just like a little. I'll just no. I'll just fall over, and hopefully the ball hits me. I, yeah. It's almost like that they're, they're looking at Roofs going, he can't keep hitting good penalties, but I don't know where he's going to put try to put it. Yeah. 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 It must be. And it must be hard because, I mean, coming into the season, I don't think Roofs would have been the guy you would have been studying up on. I think at this point, you've got to be expecting him to take the pins. But from what they've seen in, in match situations, there's not exactly been anything to study up on, really. They've all been different. They're all... Mm hit pretty well as a keeper if you're looking at those you probably are thinking well i just need to react and hope because you're not going oh he likes to go bottom corners or he likes to you know do something there's a starter step you know there's nothing nothing yet out of the penalties we've watched him take that really gives you much of a tell but we have and i, I think i mentioned it last time you know we have heard from some other players saying that roofs has been taking them well in training so i think this obviously was a bit of a plan. He's obviously been hitting them well in training, obviously within the squad. They know he can hit one, and he's now done it in match situations as well. So they've gone, actually, yeah, let him keep taking him. Whereas you might have a centre-back in a in a game and you still think, but the number nine can take the penalty, right? You know, you might go, oh, yeah, he hits him all right in training, but give him to Costa. But 
that, you know, when he's hitting well in the game as well, you let him keep taking him. Well, to be honest, Cam's been saying that for a couple of years now that Roof's absolutely nails pins and that sort of thing. So it's interesting that, you know, he's finally got an opportunity. And I think he's take what, scored four now? And I think, as you say, Dave, I think they've all been different. There's been two bottom corners, I think a higher one, and then the um, straight down the middle high. And that's 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 a very small sample size to study, but it doesn't tell you much. So yeah, I mean that's early doors. Two minutes in, Um, it got a little more interesting. Um, Newcastle felt like that seemed like they had the. They had a little more urgency. Um, Moragas and Pennington had a bit of a ding dong battle down that uh, down our right side. Um, it got interesting and a bit spicy at times later on. I think. Yeah, it, it kind of opened up quite a bit. I think uh, for the first maybe twenty minutes, and it sort of went a little bit sort of end to end. And I think <clears throat> then both kind of maybe coaches or players kind of settled down or got a little bit spooked by how open it was, and it kind of for the last. You know, the, for the next twenty or or you know thirty minutes, it just kind of not much happened at that stage. It was kind of a bit of a, you have the ball, uh, we'll try to break you down, and then everyone I think was both scared of of being counter attacked. So there was no kind of like high pressing. It was kind of like yeah, you can have it up to halfway, and then we'll just defend, and then vice versa. So it was it's kind of seemed both teams struggled to to break down after that sort of twenty minute mark or so. Mm, there were a couple of good saves, uh, one from each keeper. Um, oh, in fact, I think Paulson got a couple. Um, he palmed one wide, if I recall, off off the head. And uh, was it who was it that Cannon won from a mile out? And he actually did pretty well to tip that around the corner. Yeah, um, Paulson made a couple of good saves. So I think in, in the first ten minutes, Wooten ends up probably making the the most important save as well. Because I mean, we, there was a bit of a defensive stuff up I, I think was it Pennington made a back pass and it all, it all <laughs> yeah. went pear-shaped and Paulson's out of position and, and Wooten luckily drops onto the line and, and heads one yep. into the bar and keeps it out but that could have been one all in the first 10 minutes you know and I think as you said the game opened up a lot but if, if you know we, at least we had the lead at that point after you know conceding a, a stupid penalty from them but if they'd got one pretty much straight back down the other end that that open period of play um, could have felt quite a lot more threatening, I guess. But having having the one goal to the good um, and knowing you can play some attacking football, I think probably was giving us a bit of confidence. But that might have been quite intense. Um, we half a football if you didn't have that one goal lead in the bank. Mm, yeah, good call out with that um, uh, bit of work by uh, Wooten. That was very calm on the line to just get the head on that. I think he was quite quite relieved to see it cannon off the bar and out rather than and in. The old side volley was pretty decent for that shot as well, wasn't it? Like he got it good. Oh, it wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if you weren't playing with three centre backs if Woots doesn't drop onto the line there. I think if you've only got two, he might feel like he needs to not drop quite so deep there. Um, obviously having the extra man meant he was in a position he could drop in behind his keeper and stand on the line. But if you're only playing with two centre backs, he might not have been in the sort of space to do that. From what I remember, Paulson came out, he was out of a fair way. So Woots kind of, you know, he had to make a choice, either try and block the shot or get back on the line and just cover. So he made a good choice and he did a good job. Yeah, I think Crive, was it Crive that had the, the shot that um, Scott tipped over? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he cut off on, I think Rufo kind of went through a couple of players and put it wide and he first time it was probably just a bit too close to the keeper and I think yeah Costa had a one-on-one soon after so I think you know the, the two chances they had were you know uh one was you know from our kind of trying to play out and the other was just a speculator that you're probably not going to score too many despite sort of Paulson's you know um theatrics but we probably created the three you know best chances of that first half and if we were a bit more clinical we could have easily been you know away by half time um, yeah, apart from that, it just kind of, as you say, Dale, it just, just kind of ebbed out to half time almost. Even after the half, it didn't kick on again. It did feel very much like one goal probably wasn't going to be enough, but you didn't know who was going to score the next one. Yeah. So. I'll say that, like, 
until they really scored, they didn't really have that much. They had a little bit of pressure about, I think about an hour in for like five minutes where they had like a couple of corners in a row and we kind of dealt with that. But other than that, they didn't really create too many. good from the corners. No, no. Yeah. They really didn't know, seem to know what they were doing from the corners. I wasn't worried about that at all. The, but the breaks, though, I was thinking that we, they were getting them regularly enough that it, it could easily, you know, all it takes is one bit of good play and it's one all, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. It felt like a game where they probably wouldn't have deserved it, but it did feel like one of those games where we were giving them enough of a sniff where you kind of felt like a goal might be coming for them. It wasn't. It wasn't going to be because they were dominating or having a really good passage or anything, but just just the the nature of the game and the way it was going felt like they were going to nick something there, and eventually that is what happened. It wasn't till I think the first sub was probably a sixty. Well, certainly the first sub for the Knicks was sixty two minutes. Um, bringing old on, I thought that this is one of old's. I mean, despite only getting 30 minutes i thought he was really quality really injected a bit of pace and a bit of urgency um made us a lot more of a threat out wide i mean costa didn't seem to have, be having a great game and when old came on costa seemed to lift and all of a sudden those little kind of half breaks mattered a lot more yeah i mean his, his ability to kind of get sort of out of you know, semi-dangerous positions with a sort of drop of the shoulder and then a bit of turn and pace to really open up the game is a really um, handy attribute for us because I think, yeah, it's a little bit of a different dimension, you know, um, particularly if he plays a little bit, you know, deeper, we don't really have that out of the, the holding midfield guys. Um, so his, his ability to kind of break from halfway with a bit of pace um, just adds a, a, another dimension. We certainly look a bit more, yeah. a bit more fluid and a bit more, you know, positive when he's on the field. 100%. I think it was only a couple of months ago we were talking about, you know, how he looked like a solid enough A-League player, but probably wasn't showing that kind of breakout performance yet. And since we said that, he's looked fantastic. It's, you know, it's almost like he was listening because I, I think he's really stepped up to another level. You know, he didn't he didn't look out of place in the league, but he also wasn't, you know, lighting it up either. And since then, I think his performances have just looked better and better every time he's on the field. Um, we look a better team for it, which I don't know that you would have said a few months back. You would have said, yeah, he's, you know, he's he's there and he's doing a good enough job, but he's not he's not a standout performer, whereas now I think you can say he's certainly having some standout performances. Mm. And this, you know, he's, he only gets a half hour here and, and you know, changes the game. I'm very curious. This, As you say, Dave, when he's looked good, he's actually almost been playing as an eight. He's been dropping very deep, picking the ball up, running through the middle, running out wide a bit. So I'm kind of curious to see whether he could do that for a longer period of time than 30 minutes or whether he's using just all he's got just in that compressed time frame. But, but it'd be really nice to see if he could because it is where we are a little bit short in that kind of eight space. He did start again in that Sydney game, didn't he? And that was his sort of you know breakout game. Um, it, it, uh, the commentary mentioned he had a rolled ankle, so that kind of explains why he didn't start last weekend or the weekend just gone. So, um, I mean, it didn't seem to have any any effects of that because I think, you know, the three, no. best, three best chances after he came on, he all, I think he created basically all by himself. Yeah, and they were long runs. It's not like he was lacking speed or holding back a little bit. He was going. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of opportunities, as you say, um, Old managed to get at least one opportunity. Costa, again, looked more threatening with Old there. And a bit of a scramble. What was good to see, though, 73rd minute, Oscar Zawada coming on. Somewhat of an unheralded comeback. I, like, I hadn't heard that he was even coming back, but good to see that he, you know, stripped on the bench and um, ready to play. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a great player and he's caused goals. So I don't I don't think he's going to be upset that he's back. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see how it affects how we play, right? Because we have all talked about how we play a very different game with him on the field. Mm. And, I don't, you know, 20 minutes wasn't really enough to see uh, whether or not we had settled entirely back into that. Let's just try and find Zawada up top. But I, I hope 
given the football we have been playing, we don't just settle back into that. So it might be a bit of a double-edged sword because we've been playing good football without him. But it's really hard because he's a great footballer and you want him on the pitch, but you can't have 12 out there. So yep. um, what, do you, what do you do about it? It's a better problem to have than have him out injured for sure. But in some ways, I'm not that unhappy having him as a 20-minute off-the-bench option, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's not a role he as a player is going to be happy with and it's not, it's not the role he really should be playing. But I'd actually be okay with it. I really want to talk a bit, a bit more about that because it, it was quite interesting. Um, there was unfortunately a bit of an interjection in our um, tactical um, analysis mode. Uh, one of the worst shots I've seen, um, I can't remember, what, was it Grosos? Yeah. Just smashed it and missed the goal. I, I think it might have even been going out for a throw-in by the time it curled. That's harsh. That was going on target. I mean, I feel like you didn't watch the victory game the week before because that was going out for a throw-in before it just hit bodies and went in. No, no, I know. It it, it wasn't a great shot. He got a lot of grunt behind it, but um, unfortunately, Bahaji has just, just got a bit of leather on it and it's um, turned inside Paulson's dive. It's, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate. I mean, good play by Bahaji, right? Yeah, I don't think we defended it particularly badly. We kind of had numbers in the right kind of area. It's just the initial shot went between two of our kind of defenders looking to block and, yeah, we had a cover. Cover didn't, didn't quite get to it in time. So um, you want to actually say it was, you know, terrible defending that, you know, we gifted them one. Yeah, I don't think it was particularly well constructed by them either. It just... I guess when you come to, you know, 10 minutes to go, that's what you're looking for, right? You're just looking to get it in that six, yeah, in that dangerous spot and see what happens. And it worked for them. Hmm. I mean, in, it, in the mixer, if you were. I yeah. mean, if you wanted to say yeah. cliches like that, sure, but that's not my forte. <laughs> yeah, Dear but Lord. It's, it's the right way to, to wind you up is to <laughs> throw the cliches out there. I mean, well, wait, yeah. in the mixer really is, is a bit more kind of, aerial isn't it like is that what you see like is like just lumping it into the penalty spot right yeah 100 percent. but look it's already it's already got you tilted you're like no no we're not having that it's basically uh it's rory felon fodder yeah would you say this is more like coroner of uncertainty (laughs) (laughs) well if you can get it into the mixer in the corridor of uncertainty then you're really talking some good old-fashioned uh, Tuesday night at Stoke football. The annoying thing was about that goal was it, it kind of came in the, right in the middle of a, a patch that we looked like we were starting to get on top. And it was just the one opportunity that they like, made the most of, to be fair. But, the, you know, it was that period old coming on and everything starting to look really good when we went, when you came forward because Newcastle aren't afraid to get forward themselves and it created a lot of gaps. Yeah, and, and then there was a little, maybe a little five-minute patch where they started to look the, the best side out there. You know, that put us under a bit of danger, I think, is when Rufa lost the plot and kind of got his yellow card and then they put a ball across oh. the six-yard box that everyone kind of missed and Bahaja had a basically free header, like, inside the post and somehow put it square rather than on the target. So um, for all the all the good play up until, you know, 79 minutes, God, this, guy could have, this game could have gone, you know, in a quite terrible position, yeah, horribly which wrong. maybe, you know, it maybe is reflected of the luck or where we're at, you know, where some of these things are just falling our way at times uh, when in other seasons, perhaps they wouldn't. Or maybe Bahaj, maybe Bahaj is just a shit player. I don't know. Oh yeah. He hasn't, he certainly hasn't kicked on since Sydney. Let's talk about the roof for a yellow card. This was just dumb, especially when it, you're on four yellow cards already. And Tim Payne's out for another week. I mean, game awareness here seems to be really lacking. I mean, you mentioned, you know, that maybe it was him trying to fire the boys up. Is it worth sitting down for a week? Because it doesn't seem like it to me. Probably not. I think maybe he thought he could he could sort of stop a bit more quickly than he than he thought. Maybe he had a bit of tight legs and, and couldn't sort of pull out the tackle as quickly as he hoped. But... Yeah, I think in an ideal world, world he'd be you know, here next week. Tim Payne would would come back, and then maybe we can start 
trying to tactfully get through him on five yellows one week and then I think Pennington's up to four now as well getting him yeah you know, yep. a couple of weeks after that trying to manage our way through that because you know we do have a thin squad having two players out if you're starting 11s is is not ideal um particularly in spaces where we we don't have a lot of a lot of depth this this definitely isn't how you planned it right because i mean we're going to talk about it later but obviously you've you, you're in a window and you've got some some players coming in obviously management would be aware of that players might not have been but if you were trying to manage your way through yellow card suspensions this was about the worst possible week to pick one up right so as you say, it's it's a bit of a, a lack of awareness there, but I mean, also sometimes things just happen, you know, tired legs, bit of a bit of a brain explosion. It, it's going to happen, right? So, um, I think at least it's not it's not you know we're not seeing like red card brain explosion here. It's just yeah, you, you shouldn't be picking up yellows like that. So we do need to be a bit smarter there, but you can't always manage your yellow card situation perfectly either. So easy, Cam. I guess, yeah, Cam hasn't been here for a while, so Dave's stepping into that role of uh, chief cheerleader. I mean, I wouldn't say that was cheerleading. I was just being realistic. I like to think that's my vibe at all times. Cynicism and realism. Yeah, we've got cynicism covered. Don't worry about that. Uh, let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about that goal. Um, we've just been singing Ben Old's praises and his ability to run with the ball. Um, he has just set this goal uh, but I don't know how long how far he ran but right it felt like right through the midfield and then has committed two and three defenders to backing off him and slid a very nice ball through with uh left Zawada a little bit to do it's on his left but yeah. a very very nice finish um we were talking about the the role that Oscar Zawada plays and it seems like he can play that sort of football when the game is open Dave, your your twenty minutes kind of looks pretty um pretty reasonable, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said before, that won't be the role Zawada wants to play, though. He doesn't want to be an impact sub. I mean, that's not that's not how he views himself, and it, it probably isn't his stature in our squad anyway. But um, no, I mean, I think he shows his quality here, as you say. I mean, the assist from from Old is fantastic, right? You 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 have a great pass there to put Zawada in space, but it's hardly like it was one of those ones where the ball's so good, all Zawada has to do is touch it home. You know, he's still got a bit of work to do when he shows his quality by doing exactly that. It's on his left and he, he absolutely blasts it into pinpoint accuracy just inside the post. It's it's very, very tidy goal. Two great pieces of football. Benefiting from um, some fairly average defender from Natter again who got sucked out to defending Oscar Van Hedden with another player, so they thought Oscar Van Hedden was such a danger. They needed two defenders and leaving Zawada free free to run in behind, which is like such a bad, just a bad read because by the time Zawada shoots, like Ned is not even that far away. Like he kind of gets a half block and like, you know, just another meter close to the action at the start of that play. And he, he probably puts a block on that and we're not even, you know, and we're not talking about a glorious uh, three points. Be, be honest, Dale, if, if you're drawing this up, how many defenders do you have marking Van Hat? <laughs> um, I think you probably have one that's a good 10 yards away because you, you know the first touch is going to be heavy, so you've got enough time to get there. Yeah, but the main thing is don't sweep his legs out while you're in the box. The, the Traore lesson. You mentioned the three points here. This was really big three points with victory um, uh, shelling points. Uh, versus, I think it was Sydney. Sydney playing with 10 men and still getting a draw from victory. It leaves us sitting very, very pretty, two points uh, ahead of the chasing pack. Uh, how does this feel? I'm feeling slightly oxygen-deprived up this high. <laughs> it's a weird feeling. I mean, we haven't done it. When was the last time we were first? Was it that 14-15 season, I think, under Merrick? But I feel like that was much earlier. But it was in the still season. only... A week or two, right? It was never this extended period. It's like we yeah. live up here now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's, uh, but every week you think, ah, oh, it's just going to be this, at some point it's going to stop, right? And just kind of waiting, yeah, because that's what we're kind of used to is not being consistent enough through, yeah, you know, an entire season. But I know I think the rest of the season is going to depend on on how well we can manage our squad. Yeah, you know, if we can put out our best eleven for almost the entire 
rest of the season, we're probably looking all right. If if we pick up a few injuries, a few more suspensions, perhaps not. Um, because I think if you look around the league, you know, there's other teams have you know lots of deficiencies. You know, I think I think we're seeing with victory. You know, without Bruno, they've been pretty blunt in attack. You know, uh, Wanderers that you know they've got to have Barello out. So again, the attack hasn't been that flash. You know, Central Coast in a bit of a run now, but it's unsettling that with this where we are. Um, because I, I don't want to get my hopes up. No, I agree. And I think, I think the, the really unsettling part as well is, uh, and maybe, maybe it's just viewing the table differently because we're at top for once, but the, the table feels very incredibly tight. There are not many points off being, you know, all the way down in seventh, you know, obviously a bad couple of results and you, you can drop pretty far back pretty quickly. And with the way the league is, you know, this this run in at this point of the season, it, it matters so much. And so, yeah, a couple bad results, bit of bad form now, and suddenly you're, you know, you're fighting to stay in the six. So it, it's hard because it's not like, you know, it's not like you're feeling safe up there that drop a couple of games and you're still comfortably in playoffs, right? And that that would, by most metrics for the, a Phoenix team, you know, finishing fourth, would be a pretty good result, you know, you, instead of just scraping into the six like we often do. So, yeah, it's, it's a hard one because it feels like you're within touching distance of greatness, but also moments away from disaster too. Um, whereas maybe teams who are a bit more used to being at the top wouldn't have that same little voice at the back of, the, back of their mind saying, you know, this ain't done yet and it's all going to go to shit soon. I am reminded of the... Um ancient Roman tradition of a, a slave whispering in a conquering general's ear, um, remember you are mortal, I think it's classic lesson, you're welcome. Um, you mentioned the um, managing the squad, Dale. Um, uh, we've had a new addition uh, announced, another defensive midfielder, um, Houston Salas from Costa Rica, it's played for the Costa Rican national team, I think seven times, including in the most recent World Cup. Um, the announcement came with a nice little photo of him sliding in on a on a German player, I believe. I really don't know much about him, but apparently he's capable of playing a lot of positions, mainly defensive midfield, but he's played left back, right back, and I think left midfield or something. An interesting addition. Yeah, what's what's interesting is is he's come from the team that won most recent competition like last year he played 45 games for them in the league he started 40 of them this year he's only started half the games but but he's in, in the top the top team so it 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 just it just seems like a in some ways it just seems a little bit weird like he doesn't seem like he's on the outer of a mid-table team and you know looking to move elsewhere like no. so and the fact that we were looking at him in the off season as well tells me there must be something about him like you don't you don't play that many games for the best side in costa rica and, and you know who knows what that league's like yeah uh, i had a quick look and and yeah they they get knocked out of the Concacaf champions league by you know mexican teams so and american teams so they're probably it's probably the third best league in the in that region but you know you kind of think of some players who have gone been and gone from that league like kenny cunningham when he left us he went there to what was their champions and only played like, you know, two or three minutes off the bench most weeks. Urenia, who went to Central Coast, who's at Central Coast, did well at Central Coast. He's gone back there and he's only scored one goal each season he's been back. So lots of it depends on how he settles and his family settles and all that. It just seems like, you know, normally when you get these players from overseas, they've, they've you know, played barely any games in the last couple of seasons and looking to reignite their their um yeah their career so i'm just trying to work out what this one is because that's not that no and 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 it's a loan deal as well which you know it's not it's not like you normally lend out your starting players you know you're you're a champion team this guy's playing a lot of football for you and you go oh yeah we'll put him out on loan that's what he needs a little loan spell yeah so you know like i agree it seems very strange and you look at it from our side as well um you know if you if you look at what we're doing and how we're going I wouldn't have said the spot we really lack depth is in the defensive mid. You know, we seem to have a, a range of options there and, you know, some youth coming through and it's it's not like that's where we're the thinnest on the park. Um, you know, it's not it's not our greatest depth either, but I wouldn't 
I wouldn't have thought necessarily this is the one spot you were thinking, shit, we need to we need some cover there. So it's interesting from both sides. But I mean he looks he looks like a good quality player with a good pedigree. And as you say, if he if he settles well, um we've seen similar-ish players come into the A League um and do relatively well. So hopefully he will, but he's a defensive mid. You know, you look at his career, there's not goals. You're not expecting him to be a goal scoring player at all. Could could be really good, you know? Could could be sitting in there playing a really great pivot role and, and doing some great stuff. Could be fantastic. Yeah, I, I think if it's it's a wonder it's like we probably don't need it in that position, but I feel we'll need it to cover other positions. So like, you know, if one of our centre backs goes down, Tim Payne's gonna slot across, right? So that it gives us space at right back. You know, probably Alte or Pension will fill that gap, and so therefore we need to backfill defensive midfielder. So I think there's a, while that's not the yeah. the weakest point, it's we're doing some shuffling to get to that point essentially. Yeah, I think it's exactly right. It's where all your utilities are, and it sounds to some extent like he's a bit of a utility as well. So maybe he's even the guy who ends up going out to right back. You know, there, there's a few options there. So I think it um yeah it gives you options, which is precisely why they've done it. But yeah, it's an interesting one. As you say, Dale, uh, Dave, sorry, um, 11 goals in 10 games, I think. Um, 11 goals three... in 10 games? That's a pretty good hit rate. Sorry, <laughs> well, I, I no, sorry. 11, ga- 11 goals in 10 seasons, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that feels more right. If, he, if he's scoring 11 out of 10 games, mate, he can start up front. Fuck it. But I think, yeah, I think it's more like, yeah, more like 10 goals across his entire career. Yeah, so he's um he's not prolific by any stretch. Um but uh so he hasn't got his uh work visa yet, hasn't traveled yet. So we're all waiting for that to happen. So it's definitely not going to happen in time for this week. Um probably not next week either. But by that then Rufa and Payne would be back. They will be missing this week um for the game uh, against Brisbane. Should we roll on to the uh, women's game? Indeed. Not, not, not much to talk about here. No, not much at all. Um, so the uh, women play, back in Pyroa, uh playing Canberra. Uh, the squad was Foster McMeekin, Lake, Jaber, Davidson, Longo, Kate Taylor, uh, Fraser, Cox, Breslin, Speckmeyer, uh, Emma Main. Um, was out sick, Mackenzie Berry and Michaela Foster out injured. So there's a fair few um, subs and changes in there. Um, most noticeably, uh, Jaber in at centre-back and McMeekin in, which isn't it, which isn't too bad a sub. She's been playing pretty well. So, um, But this is a game you need three points from, right? Canberra. Uh, pushing the bottom of the table pretty hard. Yeah, that's that's true, but <clears throat> they have scored the most goals uh, in the league, I think, or second most. So um, they're very much... Uh, really? Yeah, they've... they've, they've took the, their goal scorers are first and second in the golden boot. Uh, but they've also, co- they've also conceded about 1,000 yeah. goals. So they've lost lots of games like 4-3 or 3-2 and stuff like that. If I was to, to summarise this game... I would have said that they looked utterly toothless. Well, they did, and I think yeah, that's a good summary yeah. of the game. Is is you, that Heyman? Uh, I think has scored nine goals, and she barely got a, like there. They had one shot on target, and it was the penalty, which I think highlights spoilers. An excellent, <laughs> the excellent role that uh, the team did in in shutting those channels off. I guess just kind of rolling through that that first half. It was really good to see Cox getting involved and she seems to have provided quite a good foil for Speckmeyer. Uh, her ability to, to run on those um, outside central lanes and drag defenders seems, and she's, a, she's very strong by the look of it. She doesn't mind a bit of physicality. It seems to have given Speckmeyer a little more room and time. Um, we saw Speckmeyer picking up the ball, you know, mm-hmm. on the, on the edges of those 18 yard box lines almost so pretty tight in but getting space um confidence got up she even nutmegged a player on the goal line at one stage and cracked a shot from an interesting angle but 
we we didn't look as fluid through the middle i think as we have previously is that a canberra thing or is that just a we're missing so many players at times we played some quite nice football in there like we recycled the ball well went back out and played some nice one twos. I think perhaps at times we just slightly overplayed that a little bit too much. Like I think there's a couple of times where we got to the edge of the box yeah. and we tried to make another cutting in part. Um, like I think I remember there's one where I think Longo got after a couple of one twos at the edge of the box and, and had a good shot chance to drive into the box and she tried to play another pass and it went astray. So, you know, Canberra let us do that a bit, but I felt like we were playing through their midfield relatively well especially in that first sort of half an hour i thought we we looked pretty um yeah well on top uh for them and created a, a few chances but yeah it's probably somewhat reflective of their of their you know defensive ability as well though hmm. um can i throw something out there something i kind of occurred to me while i was watching the game longo seems to get quite isolated at times she has to dribble her way out of trouble which for the you know such a short game team it seems weird. Uh, I found it very interesting. It's like it's almost like they just go, "No, you're Annalie Longo. You can get yourself out of this. You're good enough." <laughs> at, at which you see the rest of them playing. That you know, even when Longo's involved, the, the little short passes you mentioned, Dale. Is it is it just that they back her that much, or does she just cover that much space? She tends to end up isolated. I'm going to argue maybe it's a little the reverse as well. She covers a lot of space, you know, she she is a workhorse in there. But I also wonder if it's partially that she backs herself, um, that she, she you know, knows she can dribble out of trouble and she can do some of that. Mm-hmm. So where some of the other less experienced players do look for the easy ball straight away, you know, you're, you're facing backwards, play it back to your centre back and just take the easy out. Um, Longo often looks to, you know, open out where it might not be there for a less experienced, less technically gifted player. So I think sometimes... Uh, there are times she isolates herself, but generally she gets herself out of the trouble. So I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. I don't think it's necessi- necessarily detrimental at all, but I do I do think if you watch some of the times, you know, when she gets her first touch in there, there might've been an easy ball she could play, but the kind of, the fact that she's looking for the, the turn and stuff in those situations will make the defenders and midfielders a bit worried about it, right? Because you've got to defend it. Whereas if you've got a, a player who's always willing to just go back, you maybe don't need to come in and mark them. You don't need to press in as tight. You don't need to do some of that stuff. But her having that option and, and being willing to dribble a bit and, and do a bit more work in there does mean they've got to they've got to keep coming in on her every time. And sometimes she you know dribbles out of trouble and it opens right up because of it. So I think I think it might be a bit of both. Hmm. Um, another thing that was kind of noticeable is with McMeekin on the field and Cox. We had a lot more physical presence in the game. Obviously, we've got a lot of technically gifted players in there, but they tend to be smaller and we have to kind of pass our way out of trouble. It seems like with them on the field, it can cause problems just with defenders on them, just from basically their strength. I mean, Cox a couple of times just muscled players, um, even centre-backs. And McMeekin has done, I don't know how many numbers on attacking wide players she just seems to i don't want to call it brutal because it's just she just stands up there and just doesn't get pushed it it seems like that counterpoint to the short game seems to make a you know seems to make a lot more space for them at times yeah i think i think cox as well as is quite technically gifted too. I think she's not afraid to run oh, players no. and, and she is quite physical, but I think the the real benefit to her is she's technically quite good as well. So when she is running at players, you know, there's, there's kind of a double threat of her being able to, you know, technically beat you, but also just muscle you off the ball. And she's not afraid to use both sets of skills, um, which I, yeah, I think is why she backs herself in a lot of situations to go, you know what? We'll just run at players and see what happens. Um, and it's great. I think McMeekin, as you say, is, yeah, more than happy to put in a challenge and, and seems to be coming out on the right side of most of them at the moment, you know, going in for those 50-50s and coming away with the ball and a player in her dust. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic to see. And, and you know, if that's if you've got those attributes and they're working, why wouldn't you use them? Because it is sometimes an element that's been lacking from our game. So um, I think it's good to see us not just getting bullied off the ball because we have seen some teams do that to us in the past. Well, we saw, as you say, Cox running with the ball and uh, drawing that that center, central defense and playing that ball in for Speckmeyer for their first goal. 
that was just, as you say, very nice technical play, very good passer and a great finish from Speckmeyer. Um, slightly reminiscent of the uh, old Zawada one, uh, a bit closer in, and but still a very nice little boot to tidy, finish it off. Something that Speckmeyer's struggled with, I think is fair to say, is those one-on-one situ- situations, but finished with a fair degree of aplomb. Yeah, it was an excellent run from her too. She actually ran from, from quite deep and and the, the central defense didn't, didn't pick her up or didn't view her as a threat and uh, just charged on and, yeah, a nice, nice ball. So that was her uh, first of the day. Um, there were a couple more opportunities. Um, it seemed like um, Cox seemed to be involved in a lot of them or certainly a lot of the positive play. Rest of the game, it kind of... S- didn't settle down, but certainly it felt like it closed slowly into that second half and then opened a bit slowly. Did you ever get the? Did you ever feel like Canberra were ever in this game, even at one nil? No, no. Yeah, I think we started strong and it had you know probably a very strong sort of thirty minutes. I think I think Canberra had maybe a five or ten minute patch towards the end of that first half where they put a little bit of pressure on us, but didn't create anything out of it. You know, a few balls at the top that were a bit loose and couple of dangerous corners or something like that but for the most part i think yeah uh, i think i said to you david when it was two and i was like a third here would be just give us a nice little bit more of a, of a gap and, and, and really you know kick on so it was your fault <laughs> yeah. well I, I think the thing we were discussing at the time was that you know canberra do score goals um they are that yeah as you said they're the second highest goals for um and they certainly have some goal scoring threat, but it didn't it didn't feel like they were showing that at all. But you, you knew that a good patch for them could suddenly open up with one or two goals. It's a it's a thing they have in their wheelhouses, some very good strikers. So uh, much as it didn't really feel like they were offering anything, honestly, it felt like it, if anything, we were gonna watch the keeper fumble one in, that felt the more likely outcome. Um at the other end. You know, you did know that the quality was there, that couple couple good chances and they could be right back in this yeah you didn't feel like one nil or two nil was necessarily a safe scoreline but that was only based on previous form not based on anything we were seeing in this game that's for that's for sure and and i guess that's kind of how it ended up to be honest but um you could see why um despite all their goals for their bottom of the table because they looked shaky at the back you know the, the defensive line wasn't exactly strong and the keeper was fumbling almost everything you know we, we were joking about, you know, on the corners, your best chance is try and hit it at the keeper and hope that it lands on one of your striker's toes when she drops it because, you know, it, it just it didn't look safe at all back there. The defenders weren't doing a hell of a lot and the keeper was dropping it. So, you know, <laughs> it was it was only, yeah, only luck that we didn't have a bunch more, to be honest. Well, yeah, exactly right what happened with that, that second goal. Um, a corner that's been hit, Realistically, far too close to the keeper, but the keeper's just flapped at it. Uh, it's gone straight to Speckmeyer. The the um, defender on the post has retreated into the goal box rather than coming out to try and meet it. Speckmeyer, free head, couldn't miss. Yeah, and if we want to talk about flapping at the ball, I mean, the, the first goal we scored that ended up ruled out for a foul on the keeper, I mean, the keeper's nowhere near that. That is just horrid stuff from the goalkeeper to end up in the position she does. I mean, whether or not there's a foul is a different question. Even without the foul, she wasn't getting anywhere near this ball. She had, she had misjudged it entirely. Yeah. Yeah, that that defence was, yeah. They're, they're conceding a lot of goals. If they're not willing to make tackles when the keeper's done something silly and the keeper keeps making silly mistakes. Um, I was a little disappointed with the corner taking. I mean... It's probably an unfair judgment. Michaela Foster, her delivery is really, really good. Um, and you, But you notice it so much when she isn't there. No disrespect to Hope Breslin, and um, I can't remember who the other person that was taking them, maybe Macy Fraser. But we put a couple out, and the delivery wasn't great. I mean, it felt like if Michaela Foster was there, that keeper would have been having the worst time of her life. I think for the most part, they're pretty good, I think. So just after we scored, there we had another one that was cleared off the line, which the in-goal replay shows suspiciously like it's over. There was yeah, a shadow. Yeah, the, the shadow, yeah. 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 
ah. the shadow running right along the line. Yeah, it's um, but you know, unless you're sure, right? There's no VAR. There's no. There's no in goal tech. Yeah. Wow. Well, if you want to talk about calls that were dubious in this game, that probably isn't even no. top five. <laughs> <laughs> there were some um, interesting calls. I mean, I guess we've got to talk about it now. Uh, Canberra corner, um, they've put one of their attackers basically on the back of uh, Riley Foster, the go- uh, next goalkeeper. Uh, I don't know who the defender was that was there that was trying to basically move around. Elliot. It was Elliot. Yeah. Um, the, the corner has been basically hit towards the penalty spot. Riley Foster's turned and moved her elbow back. I'm going to call it gently, but certainly in the direction of the player, uh, the attacker, who has taken four steps back and flopped on the ground like she has been shot, and the ref has blown the whistle and pointed to the spot. No. Let's be clear, that never happened. The referee at no point pointed to the spot. <laughs> it was very confusing. No, no penalty was ever signaled, despite one being taken. Oh, right. That's right. She she walked up and got the red card out. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you gents don't believe that that was a penalty. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. I think, I think to have called it is incredibly harsh. I think you find this level of contact on almost every corner that happens in every game of football at all levels. Now, does that mean there isn't a foul there? No, but it's a foul that never gets called. There's as, as much shirt grabbing and tugging elsewhere in the box as there is on this one. So I, I think it's not a call I like seeing made, but do I think it's technically wrong? Not necessarily. I think it's very harsh. I think the match review panel and downgrading it from the minimum suspension to even less than the minimum suspension have made the right call. But is there no foul? I mean, anytime you swing your arm at a player in the box, you're running a risk, right? It's like where we say to defenders, anytime you grab a shirt in the box or your arms away from the body in the box, you're running a risk, right? And so I think a swinging arm like this, even with little force, and we see the point of contact is absolutely not the elbow, it's the arm. There's a lot of stuff there that I'm like, this is incredibly soft, and the player is milking it for all they're worth. But is there no foul? I'm not going to say definitively there's no foul. Dale, tell him why he's wrong. Uh, not necessarily wrong. I'll just take a, a slightly different angle to that, I think. I'm not sure it's a swinging arm more rather than a sort of pushing away behind it so it looks like it's it's swinging. Um, I think it's more of a don't bump into the back of me. I'm going to push you away. And is that a foul? I mean, the the... I think the fact the ball's nowhere near it makes it not a foul. I think it's like, yeah, inconsequential contact or, or whatever. If the ball is there and, and, and that push stops her from having the opportunity to attack the ball, then sure, I think that's fine. But the fact that the ball is, you know, 15 yards away and, and the person, you know, takes three steps and then falls over, I think it's absolutely a, a call based on a reaction that, that, that opposed to seeing it. Because if you, if you yeah. look at the replay, the referee cannot, based on where players are, could not feasibly see the incident. It's on the reverse side of where the lino is. So someone's made, one of those two have made the call um, and they certainly have not seen it. Unsighted. Unsighted, you know, with a clear vision. So, um, and the fact that the call takes so long to be made implies that, um, you know, either the lino has has made the decision or they're basing it purely based on, on their action. You could find a foul there if the ball was there, but I don't. I don't think it is. And, and I, I think the issue is, I, I agree with you. If if the ball's coming in there and that's a push away or whatever, I think I think you could find a foul there and give a pin. But it's not a red card no. level of contact, right? Like if the ball's coming in and that stops you getting to it, fair enough, blow a penalty, whatever. But it's not a red card. It just it just isn't the the level of contact isn't that um, at any point here. So I, I think that's where it's incredibly harsh because once it's off the ball. It's not just a foul. The only thing the ref can really be looking at there is violent conduct. And I don't think it meets that threshold, but the referee obviously has thought differently. Can I um, 
throw out another um, suggestion as well. The attacker isn't even on the goal; it's on the ball side of the the goalkeeper. It's fairly obvious that her intent is purely to interfere with the keeper. She's not looking to get involved with the ball, even if it was there. So, I, I find it very strange that it almost should be the other way round. Uh, you know, as far as the foul goes, it's like someone is deliberately interfering with the keeper with no intent to play the ball. I mean, the initial contact, there's more contact there, more of a foul than the one that got called back by um, the Rebecca Lake header that called back because of Kate Taylor's contact, you know, like there's not much difference between the two, yet one was, you know. Yeah, it, it, that's a very good point, actually. It, it, there was a there was a bit of, fair bit of jostling with the Kate Taylor one. I think with the the Riley one as well, I think the interesting thing is if this player had continued, if Riley doesn't create some space for herself with her with her arm movement, I think this might well have ended up as a foul on the keeper. But it doesn't it, that doesn't happen. As you say, there's a bit of contact, a uh, bit of contact both ways. But I think, as you say, the, the attacker's intent is just being there to, to cause trouble. So if this ball's coming anywhere near the keeper, I think that attacker would have ended up fouling her. But that's not how it goes down because she milks the contact the other way. And I think, uh, yeah, I just think it's poor. Um, and yeah, I would I would love, yeah. The, the hard thing, right, is her arm does move and there is contact. Because I think if there's nothing there, if it's, if it's no contact at all, the match review panel, I think, based on the, how, what they have done here, would have said, we're rescinding the card. Because they've basically downgraded this to an offence that can't have occurred. Because the offence they've they've ended up citing her for and suspending her for requires circumstances to be different to what they were. You can't, you can't say that this is that offence because it's just not that. So they've basically said, we think this is a wrong call. But it's not completely without merit because your arm does move in this context. Yeah. The, the the threshold for overturning a red card is basically could any ref um, anywhere in the world not give any card at all. So so right. it, it can't it, it can't be just a yellow. It has to be a non card. So any not basically non contact would say yep. you, there's no way no one would, no ref would would give a card in this instance. Given there's some contact, you probably go ah you're off the ball. Maybe you get some you get a yellow. Which is why we ended up with him missing the upcoming game. Correct. No, and the only other way it could be overturned is if you've given it to the wrong player. Which, which, which is what we thought at one at one stage after it happened, because it happened so far off the clock yeah, that yeah. we thought, oh, maybe Elliot's done something like thrown her to the ground or something. Yeah. <laughs> like what I thought initially, I because I, I saw the elbow, but I'm like, well, that that's not going to hurt her. I thought maybe um, Foster had accidentally shouldered her in the boob or something. And she's just gone down like, oh that an awkward contact but nope wasn't that um we're kind of burying the lead here a bit as much as that was a contentious issue i mean poor old brie edwards had to come on the field hasn't touched the ball and uh stand up for a penalty and let's be honest makes a pretty tidy save not the best strike i should add for a pen um again toothless um but it's out to the side she's got two good um firm hands on it tipped it around the corner that's not a bad way to start um your substitution i i just i want a point of order because i feel like people people don't give keepers enough respect in this scenario because to be honest coming on as a reserve goalkeeper one of the most likely scenarios you're coming on for is to immediately save a pen there there's only two reasons you're coming on right your keeper's been injured or your keeper's being sent you're not making a tactical sub to bring on your reserve keeper. So this this is something you are prepared for if you're sitting on the pine as the reserve keeper, that this might well be your first interaction with the game. And I'm not saying you love that, that you're like, yeah, that's exactly how I wanted it to go. But it is a scenario that as a reserve keeper on the pine, you know is a pretty real possibility every single game when you're sitting there, right? So it's not something you're not mentally prepared for or haven't, haven't you know, worked through that scenario prior to the event right you're still coming on pretty cold and it's still going to be a hell of an introduction but it's a reasonably high chance that if you're playing the game this is the scenario you're playing in um i know much has been made about riley foster's the time at which she took to leave the field but i we we know she's she loves a bit of gamesmanship you know every now and again she'll she'll fall over pretend she's injured to soak up a bit of time 
I think this is a bit of this. I think this is delay the penalty as long as possible. Get the get the striker sitting yeah. on the spot, waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and doing that. And I think I don't think it's yeah. You know, people say it was like yeah, you know, sort of disrespectful, but I think it's just a bit of a bit of a gamesmanship. Um, I think as soon as the ref told her to, to get off, she went off, but she kind of went and gave everyone a high five, um, and then and then sort of slowly made her way off. So to really stretch that game as yeah. long as it could, um, and you know, like I think the, the striker, I think hit it hit it quite well. I think. Yeah, I think if, if Brie only gets one hand on it, I think that goes in. I don't think she presses it around the post. I think mm-hmm. there's enough pace on it that it probably it probably gets yeah it sneaks in, in the in the corner. But you know she got a good good jump on it and uh, like just exactly what we needed at that time. Two one half an hour, ten men, ten women I should say. Completely different than when you've got a two goal buffer and, and you you know you've got a bit up your sleeve if you need to. Yeah, and it, and it, it's going to inspire the troops, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the rest of the players are going to fire up from that. You know, the, the goal going in deflates people, whereas a big save like that fires everyone up. You know, they're going to they're going to fight tooth and nail to keep that result. And yeah, it's it's a it's a good save. Um, she's she's picked the right side. It's that awkward one of it's not a badly hit penalty, but it's in that it's in that savable height that you talk about. But you still got to get there and save it. And she does she does very well. And I think you're right, Riley. In, in the way she leaves the field, I think if the ref's over there telling her to get off, she gets off. But the referee team just left her alone for a long, long time, just wandering the field, shaking hands, giving hugs, all sorts of stuff. They weren't, they weren't at all interested in engaging with her. Well, the f- and when they finally did, she kind of left the field. But it was, it was weird how long. Yeah, fourth official put up the subs, like. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing is, like, they didn't even point her to way of the change rooms. So you need to go straight to the change rooms. You don't get to go to the subs bench. You need to leave the field. And she, they just pointed her to the halfway line. It's like, you, this is taking more time than yeah. it needs to be. The, she just needs to take two steps off the field and you can play this game. Instead, they make her to go 50 steps to exit halfway. So yeah. it just, just a calamity of officiating in that whole game from, from almost like minute two or three. What I found interesting is obviously um, Riley Foster's gone off and got changed, probably had a shower or something, but she's the first person to run on the field and go and grab Bree Edwards when they win. And I'm like, I'm not really sure you're supposed to be anywhere in the ground at the moment yeah. with that red card. Certainly not meant to be on the side of the field. Yeah, just, just one other thing. Um, after the game, they were in a huddle and, and attempts was doing his sort of post-gram thing. And then I think Riley put her hand up, literally was had her hand up saying, I don't know what she's saying, but I can assume she's saying, look, my fault, you know, thanks for batting me out. And then she said something and pointed to Bree and everyone cheered. So there was obviously some kind of like, I fucked up, but, you know, Bree saved us kind of thing. So it was quite a, yeah. quite a I don't know, a nice moment and nice nice to get three points, um, especially with the, the month that they've had before then. And I, I, I mean, we, we've talked about the referee a bit, but I, I think... We know now that that was a ref on debut, but I think that ref was put in an incredibly tough situation, not not in terms of the game, but not everyone might have realised that before the game kicked off, there was a giant hole in the field. We were watching a, a groundkeeping crew pour wheelbarrows of dirt into a hole. Not just one wheelbarrow, but multiple wheelbarrows of dirt, packing down a hole, and there was quite the pre-match conference that I can only assume was about whether or not this game was getting called off. And that's a really tough situation for a ref about to, you know, undertake their professional debut to be in. And I imagine there was, let's not say undue pressure, but a lot of pressure being placed from probably the league and coaches to play this game. Because it's not like it's a league flush with money that can afford to go, you know what, we'll just fly the team from Canberra back over next week. And, you know, the draw is really easy for us to reschedule and just fit in a fixture. You know, it's... It's not like that. So I suspect the pressure was strong to play this. So that's really tough as the lead into your first professional game. And I mean, I'm not going to say she's had a great performance, but it wasn't exactly the easiest of situations to, to start your professional refereeing career. And so that's that's a big, a big call. And I think something that probably should be at least noted in the context to how this ended up going. Yeah, I, I recall a few years ago, was it, it might have been Ernie Merritt complained about how we'd often get the novice referees that send them over to to Wellington to do a game that no one was watching, kind of stuff. And he and I, at one point, one year, I, I ran, ran the numbers, and you know, we're getting play, you know, you know, just about all our refs had less than ten games or something like that. Um, 
and it seems like they do it on the women's side as well which is kind of surprising because like we talk about how how travel can impact player performance and stuff like that and it just seems like you're setting up a referee to fail to fly them across you know four hours flight plus all the travel and all that kind of stuff to make them you know play uh, referee their first game just seems like of course that would impact their performance like if it impacts players why wouldn't it impact referee like it it feels like well the correct thing to do if you're trying to blood players is, is to start you know doing that towards the end of the season when some of the games don't you know necessarily matter as much um you know a couple of teams that are out of contention you know it's in their home state so they not have to travel so um circumstances are a lot more conducive to a good experience first up but when you send them halfway you know you know, across the, the tasman to, to do a game where you know there's a lot of pressure it just seems like a fairly fairly silly silly idea it's a very good call out actually dale oh, i hadn't thought of it that much i mean we do downplay how much effort it is to physically ref the game and obviously with that that travel and stuff it's um yeah makes sense um that probably should be the end of our little discussion um what with it, us running quite long and but we should mention uh the men are playing uh, in brisbane at nine forty five on friday the women are playing uh at in newcastle at 7 p.m on the sunday um the we are miss the men will be missing both uh, Tim Payne and Alex Roofer and the women will obviously be missing Riley Foster no word on Emma Main, Mackenzie Barry or Michaela Foster um, so it could be a bit of a threadbare women's team that shows up if all of those are still out injured I guess that's probably the end unless you guys have got anything you want to plug, add or proffer forward Nope. Big fat zero. Oh, well, thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back uh, later to talk about the men's game against Brisbane and women's versus Newcastle. Uh, will we get that out before the um, Mariners game, Dale, or will we be talking Mariners as well? Nah, probably not. Probably not. Who knows? You heard it here first. We'll see. Breaking news. We'll talk about three games next time really yeah i mean who wants to give up their long weekend to talk to you guys not me that's for sure oh i hope you've all taken monday off so you get four day weekend my boss told me to do it mate she's already smart move i've got a nine day weekend oof okay dave has shown us how to do it (laughs) thanks for listening uh have a good day and or evening um we'll talk to you again when we get those other games done bye